This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Michelle Simon, Executive Director of the Plant-Based Foods Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Michelle Simon next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. America's crop insurance industry, providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Consumer demand for plant-based foods continues to grow at an astronomical clip. Michelle Simon, Executive Director of the Plant-Based Foods Association, says two years ago the sector grew by 8%. Simon says Nielsen data shows sales grew by a whopping 20% last year. That just really speaks to the, the consumer demand and also the innovation that we're seeing in the market that's really driving that growth. When we're talking about dollar value, especially of the foods that you're concentrating on, how has the dollar value grown? Well, that's actually what what we looked at specifically, knowing that that's what's important. And, you know, there are categories within that in particular that are driving growth. And, And to be fair, a lot of these categories are relatively new. So, of course, you know, growth can often be explained by just a category having started from a, a, a small place and now has a lot of room to grow. But even a category like the um, plant-based milk category, for example, which has been around now for decades, um, is showing higher growth this past year than it did the year before. So last year's growth was at 3%, which we thought, okay, it's a mature category. But this year we found it's growing at 9%. So that shows, again, the continued consumer interest in the category and the real innovation, just more products available on the market all the time. So how difficult has it been to introduce plant-based foods to the major grocery stores and chains of the country? Have have you had to knock on their door, or now are they coming to you and looking for these products? Yeah, well, that is the exciting thing. I mean, while some chains have been slow to to sort of get on the bandwagon, but now it's getting easier all the time. And uh, we've heard from our members that chains often approach them when they see them perhaps in a, in a competitor's market. And we're actually starting to do our own outreach on behalf of our members, and we are definitely getting a lot of receptivity when we reach out to even some of the largest retail chains who see the same data that we do, right, because the data is coming from them, and they know that they need to keep up with this consumer demand and that this is uh, an area of growth that is unparalleled and compared to grocery overall, which we looked at with Nielsen, which is pretty much flat, just at about 2% growth. So if you want to, you know, have growth in your store and who doesn't, this is an important category to, to be in. This is a lot different day. We have some new generations coming along. And with that, how do you note these new generations? How is the paradigm shifting for food from your perspective? 
Well, there's no question that young people are obviously playing a big factor. And we know that, that young people care more about where their food comes from. They care a lot more about transparency. And um, they want to align their values with their food choices. So that's definitely a huge part of it. But I don't think we should discount um, the older generation. You know, we know that, that older folks are looking for healthier options, right? Some of them may have been diagnosed with, with health problems, looking to cut down on saturated fat and cholesterol for whatever you know, reason. They may even... Um, anyone, whatever age, can be intolerant or allergic to dairy products. So I think, you know, we're seeing a, a wide range of consumers who are interested in these products, but there's, there's no doubt that um, the younger generation will sort of make sure that this trend is here to stay. Do you see the demand for plant-based foods aligning with the consumer's mindset that might call for more of an organic product? Absolutely. I mean, organic is, is an important trend and, and will remain so, but I think there's also a real desire on consumers to look for healthier alternatives to meat and dairy products. And so, you know, these aren't mutually exclusive. In some cases, people are choosing organic um, dairy alternatives, right? But, you know, our members, uh, some use organic ingredients and some don't. So we are sort of agnostic on the issue of organic, but, um, you know, what we're seeing is people are making choices for different reasons, for different motivations. And so it's you know, important to have a variety of, of healthier options in the market. What promotion programs do you have in place? Well, we're actually really excited to be working right now with a, a major retailer on a, a merchandising event uh, in October that will promote this sector within some number of their stores, probably in California, just to start with, with one particular region and see how that goes. So this is a brand new program that, that we're launching, and, you know, it's going to really show the benefit of merchandising these particular products to consumers in the right way, making sure they know where to go in the store, perhaps doing some demos, make sure that um, consumers get to taste the products because, you know, often there are misperceptions. You know, some of these foods are new to the average consumer. And so this is a, a program we're just getting ready to launch this fall with this particular retailer. So I can't say too much about it, but you'll definitely know about it when it happens. And we're really excited to uh, to see how that goes. And then that will become our, our pilot program and we'll expand on it into 2019. And we've already been talking to other retailers about that. So um, it's very exciting. Are you truly a national association or there in reality some greater hot spots within portions of the country. We are definitely national. We have a few members even that are based internationally, but all are doing business across the U.S. and, and um, North America. You know, I will admit we have a, um, a particular concentration of members in California and another hotspot, as you call it, would be New York and Chicago, big cities. But, you know, increasingly we do have members across the country. We have um, a company called Herbivorous Butcher uh, based in Minneapolis, and they're, they're a one a wonderful brother-sister team that has a deli there, very popular, and they're expanding. And um, we have another company based in North Carolina that makes wonderful meat alternatives. So, you know, this is a trend that is not just happening on the coast. You know, things sometimes start on the coast and then, you know, work their way into the rest of the country, and that's definitely what's happening here. What about investment? Companies that are getting started need capital to grow, no question about that. And the good news is there is a growing number of investment firms that see the same trends and, and want to be part of that. And, you know, the investment world and food is very much, um, you know, engaged and putting money into startup companies. And so 
recognizing that opportunity and wanting to help our members connect with investors, PBFA actually launched a, a special membership just for investors, and we have about a, a 12 or 13 investor members. And so when I hear from a, a company member that they're, you know, needing to raise capital, I will make the introductions to make sure that those relationships get built. And it is a critical part of the equation and as you know, food is very competitive, and to get real leverage in the marketplace, to be able to you know meet the growing demand, companies do need to be well capitalized. You mentioned before that recent innovations have helped you grow. What are you able to do now that you couldn't before, and what doors are research opening for you to new avenues to consumers? What seems to be happening is a, is a confluence of factors. One is there's simply better technology available to companies now to make the types of interesting products, whether it's extrusion machinery or other types of equipment that specialized, very specialized equipment that companies need to make the types of products that they do to make them taste really good. And then, you know, we have, you know, a growing um, uh, sector of food scientists that are really excited to do something that is really helping to um, make a difference in the world. And so, you know, when you have a really great team of food scientists combined with the right technology, that's a really great recipe for making great tasting foods. And, of course, you know, we need chefs involved as well. So I think really putting a good team together and, and bringing the right people together who are who have the skills and the knowledge and um, the excitement to, to make great things happen, that's really where we're seeing the companies that are having the most success. And, you know, I think also the ingredient supply, so working with ingredient suppliers that can really provide the right types of ingredients that these companies need to, you know, for their formulations is obviously a big factor as well. So last year, a tremendous debate in the Congress over the disclosure of perhaps ingredients that came from crops that were that came from crops that were genetically enhanced. And now we're awaiting those regs coming from the Department of Agriculture. It seems labeling is an issue now that particularly has you uh, perhaps crossways with the dairy industry and also with the meat industry on how plant-based foods might be labeled. Uh, the FDA would suggest that the definition of milk is from a lactating animal. However, almond milk and soy milk have been sold for some time. So what's your plea to the FDA uh, about potential regulation that might change practices of what's being presented in the dairy case? Well, you know, our position has been the same since last year when we started talking about this in relation to the federal bill that was proposed, which is that this whole conversation appears to really be a solution in search of a problem, that our member companies are using clear labels on their packaging. No one's trying to fool anybody. Quite the opposite. Companies are seeking those consumers that are seeking out their products in return, right? So the idea is to reach consumers who are looking for an alternative to cow's milk. Are they using the word milk? Yes, because that's a word that the consumer understands. And with proper qualifiers like almond or soy, with clear labeling like dairy-free, you know, there's really no problem. And that's why the FDA hasn't acted for all these decades that um, they've been asked to, because they have other priorities. Now it seems that that has shifted, and our position is we will work with FDA just like we have been to accommodate any kind of reasonable request that they have on how we can do a better job of helping our members with how to label their foods, short of making them not use words that they are already using and aren't posing a problem in the marketplace. So let's create a definition. What is milk? 
What, what should we call milk based on the patterns of today? Well, the way I members like to think about it is that milk is something that provides the consumer a certain texture, mouthfeel. It has a certain functionality that they might use for different purposes throughout their day, whether it's in their morning cereal or their smoothie or their coffee. It's really something that has form and function and taste and flavor. It's not something that comes from any particular animal. It's not something that even comes from any particular nut. It's really just something that is available in a variety of ways depending on, you know, what that consumer's interest and flavor preferences are. And that's why we think there's room in the marketplace for everyone. And that seems to be what the consumer has said as well, because our data shows that some 40% of consumers actually consume both milk from a cow and milk from a nut or some other plant-based ingredient. So we just think that there's room for everyone. And, you know, we don't own the English language any more than the dairy industry does. And as long as the words are properly qualified and explained to the consumer what's going on, which they are, we don't really see a problem. I'm amazed every year at the new words that become a part of the English language. So this is a hypothetical, if you will. But what if your insistence to hold milk uh, as a part of the, the label of your product is denying you the opportunity to come up with another name that might be more descriptive or even marketable. Well, we have a situation where words like soy milk and almond milk have been on the market for decades. And so that we've sort of grown up a whole generation of consumers with the understanding of what soy milk and almond milk and now cashew milk and all the rest are. And so to change that situation would actually potentially cause more confusion in the market than is necessary. And even the commissioner admitted that we have essentially a de facto situation in law where these terms are acceptable. So, again, we think, you know, why fix what's not broken? And, you know, we at PBFA, in fact, have even formed a committee to help guide our members with how to take a more consistent approach to labeling, recognizing that, there aren't really many rules of the road, and FDA has sort of left this area alone for some time. And so, you know, we stepped in, did the right thing, and said, okay, here's what we think is the right approach to labeling on a voluntary basis to um, provide our members some guidance to make sure that there's no confusion, that everything is being handled in a consistent way to create some understanding in the marketplace. So we feel like we're at least a year ahead of FDA on this. It took us the past year to, to do that, and we've offered that up to FDA as a potential solution. And again, we, you know, we're willing to work with anyone, talk to anyone about how to come to a peaceful resolution um, that everyone can live with. Okay, so out of the skillet now and into the fire, you also have now plant-based meats, and some suggest that because it came from a plant, it shouldn't be called meat. What's your side? Well, you know, it's, a, it's really the same conversation just with the different product lines. And so, you know, and just like with milk, if you look up meat in a dictionary, it, it doesn't say it has to come from an animal. So meat can mean a lot of different things. There's meat of the matter. There's coconut meat, right? And so we have members who feel, feel very strongly that they are making meat. It just happens to come from plants. And so, you know, again, no one owns the English language, and so as long as these words are qualified in a proper way, and by the way, that is the next area that our members will take on to help guide our membership and how to do a more consistent job in labeling plant-based meat alternatives. And so talk to me in, a, in about a year, and, and we'll, you know, I'll, I'll share that result with you. So recognizing that there does need to be some consistency and, and that there are, um, you know, this is a gray area, 
but it should be up to the companies themselves to figure out the solution and not government agencies that often represent other interests. It is amazing the number of agencies that have jurisdiction, if you will, over food safety. So meat is regulated by the Department of Agriculture, plant regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. So now there is the argument of who has jurisdiction over these plant-based products. Uh, well, there, there actually is no argument or discussion about that. Even USDA has said that um, they don't have jurisdiction over over plant-based, at least not in terms of you know food safety or or even labeling. I mean, you know, we may get their attention for using certain terms, but at the end of the day, FDA um, is the regulatory body in charge of both food safety and labeling of our, our members' products. And obviously, for for any other type of product dairy alternative, it's crystal clear that FDA is the sole um, agency of jurisdiction at the federal level. So are you already in the marketplace and do you feel that plant-based meats are going to become even more available for consumers in restaurants and in and in grocery stores? There is no doubt about it. I mean, the growth figures in the, the meat alternative category are are very strong and there are particular brands that are just taking off right now. Might have of one called Beyond Meat that is just exploding in the market so much it's hard for them to even keep up with demand. And so, you know, again, as companies continue to innovate and consumers respond to that by saying, wow, this, I've never had anything like this, I want more of this, then obviously, um, you know, restaurants and retailers will have no choice but to make more room on their shelf and their menus to make sure that they um, meet this this consumer demand. So this is this is a category that's definitely here to stay, and we have to make room for everyone in the market. Do you see a day when there may be competition, or that you're developing two different inroads because there is lab-cultured meat today, and there's also plant-based meat today? How do you mm-hmm. see this playing out? Let's be clear. Today, on the market, there are only plant-based alternatives. You're right that there is a growing sector of cultured meat or lab-grown meat, which is still in the future. So this is something that's still to be worked out scientifically, and there's a lot of even other sorts of hurdles that that industry has to has to get through. So it's not something that PBFA really gets involved with or worries too much about. We try to make sure that people understand that is a very different category of food than what our members make. Our members are using, you know, agricultural inputs, plant-based ingredients that everybody's heard of and understands and is, are currently in the market. So we want to just focus on, on what our members are doing and to help them grow. You might see different, different, or at least one opinion, or even from myself, just in an observation. If you have meat from an animal, if you have meat from a plant, or you have meat from from culture, that that maybe there needs to be new words that actually do define for consumers what it is they're purchasing. I mean, we had a big argument about country of origin labeling about where the animal was raised and and where it was mm-hmm. fed and where it was processed. It, it almost makes you wonder if we wouldn't be better to come up with names that are more accurate in description other than one common noun. Well, I think our members would say that we have words already in the English language that people understand. And if a company is, is making a product that is similar in, in form and in, you know, purpose and in, even in taste and mouthfeel and so forth, why should they have to come up with another word? If a consumer understands what milk is based on, this is what I pour in my cereal, or if a consumer understands what a burger is by, you know, slapping it 
in a bun and frying it up on the grill, I mean, then why shouldn't those companies be able to use those words that consumers understand? Again, properly qualified and, you know, clearly labeled because that's, you know, the type of consumer they're looking for who wants that kind of alternative. We don't need to make up new words. We just need to use the words in a proper context. Is the Plant-Based Foods Association, the, the consumer demand for this product, are we following a trend in the globe, or are we trend-setting here? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually think it's a little bit of both. I mean, we have a number of members who, who do sell in, in the European market, and, you know, in some ways um, parts of Europe are, are ahead of us. You know, they've always kind of been more um, sort of aware of food trends and, and have shown concerns for, um, you know, some of the, some of the issues in our food supply. So, you know, I think there are parts of Europe that are probably a bit ahead of us, but on the other hand, there are ways that the U.S. is really leading the way. And, you know, we certainly know there's growing interest in, in other parts of the world. And, you know, even a country um, like China has come out and said that, that people need to reduce their meat consumption. And that's obviously really important for for huge countries that um, are increasingly, um, you know, um, producing more meat and their consumers um, fortunately have the perception that by, you know, being successful means you have to eat more meat. So, you know, I think it's, it's a bit of both and, you know, the, um, the environment really demands that people reduce their meat consumption and I think that's, that is a trend we'll continue to see globally. Michelle Shaman, we want to thank you very much for taking time to spend with us here on this edition of Open Mic. Michelle, it is Open Mic and you have the last word. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I just want to say that, you know, I don't want um, what our members do to be perceived as a threat. I really see the tremendous opportunity for collaboration. And you know, we are open to talking to anyone who wants to talk to us about how we can work together. Our thanks to Michelle Simon, Executive Director of the Plant-Based Foods Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.